Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled Radiant Church, verse by verse through Titus. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. One of my wife's favorite TV shows used to be the show that's now canceled called What Not to Wear. It was on the TLC network. If you've seen Maya's wardrobe, uh, you'll notice that she has learned what to wear. And if you've noticed my wardrobe, you'll see that I'm still wearing what not to wear. <laughs> Seriously, uh, the show was hosted by fashion fashionista experts Stacy London and Clinton Kelly as they performed makeovers on fashion offenders. Such offenders were nominated by family and friends or coworkers that would uh, send in secret video footage, stalking video footage of their uh, loved ones committing fashion faux pas. If chosen for the show, uh, Stacy and Clinton would then collaborate with the nominating party to ambush the transgressor with a public intervention. The offender was then given two options. A, submit yourself to Stacy and Clinton's Vogue authority and uh, they will fly you to New York for a $5,000 shopping spree, a consultation with a professional makeup artist, and a fresh haircut with their expert hairstylist. Or the offender could choose option B by declining Stacy and Clinton's offer and risk losing all their family, friends, and coworkers because of their hideous wardrobe. <laughs> of course, nearly everyone chose option A, as far as I can remember. And after arriving in New York, um, the beautification process began by having the fashion felon try on and then dispose of their old wardrobe in front of Stacy and Clinton. Next, they were forced to try on some of their offensive clothing in front of a 360-degree mirror to receive deconstructive criticism on their clothing. And then, as you probably expected, there was a touching ending, a reveal towards the end of the show of every episode. The makeover victim would show off their new clothes, makeup, and hairstyle for their loved ones at a party, and there was lots of crying. The show, What Not to Wear, had a successful 10-season run because it was built on two universal premises. The first is that we all need others to point out our ugliness from time to time because we can't see it ourselves. And the second premise is that removing that which is ugly allows beauty to come out. Stacey and Clinton operated on that second premise that before we can help you become more beautiful, we got to get rid of what's ugly in your life. Therefore, your old wardrobe has to go in the trash. Complete purging. Well, Stacy and Clinton uh, didn't know this, but their premises come out of the Bible, and they apply to the local church. So we're continuing today our series in Titus called Radiant Church, and the title of this message is The Role of Elders. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Titus chapter 1. And if you forgot your Bible, um, just raise your hand and we can loan you one of ours. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you so you can follow along. 
So if you need one, don't be ashamed. Raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Also, I want to encourage you to take out the sermon note outline that's in the worship folder that uh, kind of gives you a structure for the passage we're going to be looking at today. Uh, the title of this series was inspired by the key verse in the book of Titus. It's chapter 2, verse 10, and it ties together all the topics that Paul is addressing in this short letter or book of three chapters. And it ties together a big idea that I, I'm repeating throughout this series for the series itself. And the big idea for the series is this. A radiant church makes the gospel attractive to an ugly world. And that's what I think Paul is saying in Titus 2.10. Uh, let's read it out loud together off the screen. Uh, so that in every way we can make the teaching about our God and our Savior attractive. I think Paul is saying there, a radiant church makes the gospel attractive to an ugly world. Now you might remember me saying that the word attractive there, using the NIV, comes from the Greek word cosmeo, which is where we get cosmetics from. In other words, I think Paul is saying that just as a woman does not go out in public without considering her appearance or doing something about her appearance, the Lord's church should also care about and give attention to how it looks to a watching world. So two weeks ago, we learned from chapters, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, that radiant churches are protected by qualified, competent elders. Today we're going to look at verses 10 to 16, which I hope you'll take away this big idea for verses 10 to 16. And that is that elders protect the church by confronting ugliness so beauty can come out. Elders protect the church by confronting ugliness so beauty can come out. Verses 5 through 9 that we looked at two weeks ago, in fact, you may even have the subheading in your Bible, like mine does, the qualifications for elders. Verses 5 through 9 focus on the character qualities that are needed for elders. However, character alone is not enough. There are also skills or competency that's needed for the job. And that's what verses 10 to 16 talk about that we're going to look at today. Now, you need to know that what the Bible says about the role of elders, I think it's important for you to know because qualified, competent elders are charged with protecting us from the church as well as protecting the church from us. See, there may be times where somebody in the church has hurt you and you need the elders to step in and help rectify or reconcile that relationship or address that sin. And there may be a time where you hurt somebody and the elders need to intervene and help you get right with the Lord because you have hurt the church. Despite the church being comprised of born-again believers, we all, including myself, still have an inherited sin nature that makes us prone to hurting others inside the church, and we're all prone, and we will face temptations to diminish our witness outside the church. In a general sense, I think the New Testament teaches that local elders in a church are responsible for overseeing the three Ds. And I've got this on your outline for you. Uh, these are in our bylaws, and it's just a simple way kind of to summarize in a very general sense, three things that elders are supposed to uh, oversee or look out for. The first is doctrine. Doctrine. Uh, local churches 
excuse me, local elders are to be guardians of the gospel. They, they are responsible for protecting the purity of the gospel message in the respective community that they're reaching. They are also to ensure that the teaching the church receives is in line with sound doctrine, as outlined in the scriptures. Doctrine simply, it's another word for teaching. So this would include uh, overseeing what's taught in the children's ministry, student ministry, adult small groups, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, etc. Because there are, not everything that's out there in the market, not every Bible study that's out there in the market is doctrinally sound. The next D, the second one that elders are to oversee, is discipline. As guardians of the gospel, they are charged with protecting the purity and witness of the church. The church discipline is the process uh, in which elders endeavor to restore members who are continuing in sin that is harming themselves, harming the Lord's name, and the testimony of the church. The goal of discipline is always to restore that member into a right relationship with the Lord and into good standing with the church again. Therefore, God has authorized and given authority to elders to use discipline if necessary because if professing Christ followers don't act like Christ followers, it hurts the credibility of the gospel in the eyes of unbelievers. Unbelievers are smart. They, they know enough to ask the question. They're insightful. They, they'll, they'll ask the question, well, if the gospel you say you believe hasn't changed your life, then why should I believe it? If you act like that, what difference does it make? Here's the third D, doctrine and discipline, and then the third one is direction. The Lord has a specific calling, I think, and a niche for every local church to meet in their respective community. It is the job of the elders to pray, consult the scriptures, and gather wisdom so they can discern what that calling is. Uh, this includes determining how we staff the church, what the budget looks like, uh, what ministries get emphasized. And this is because no church can do everything. Every church has limited resources and limited gifting. But one church committed to its calling and what God's called it to do that finds that track can make a significant impact on its community. And so with that, I wanted to set that up and give you some context as we look at verses 10 through 16. I'm going to read uh, the entire passage because it's not that long, and then we'll work our way through it together. Uh, Paul writes to Titus in verse 10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Well, they must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. 
Okay, here's point number one on your outline. In order for the beauty of the Lord's church to be seen, elders have to confront ugliness. And the reason is, uh, and the first truth I think we could take away from this passage is that radiant churches face recurring attacks from divisive threats. Radiant churches face recurring attacks from divisive threats. It's, it's worth noting in verse 10 that Paul says, for there are many. It's, a, it's an important pronoun that we shouldn't overlook or miss because Paul could have said, eh, there's a few. Or he could have said, there's some. But in the handful of churches that Titus had been dispatched to clean up on the island of Crete, he's saying, there are many that are doing the things that I'm about to talk about, and that's not good. It suggests, as we've seen already in chapter 1, that there was disorder, there was some chaos going on, because local elders had not been installed yet. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they had to wait until God kind of raised up, or, or it was revealed who was qualified and mature enough to take on that role. And so Titus was being dispatched to go in and clean up some messes in some churches on the island of Crete. And Paul's describing some things here in this passage that were going on in those churches that are definitely not good. And so uh, he says many. It's, it's a reminder that not every church who hangs out a shingle in the name of Jesus is healthy. There are healthy churches and unhealthy churches. And there are healthier churches and less healthier churches. It's more like a spectrum instead of categories. Paul's use of the pronoun many, I think, reminds us that a church without qualified, competent elders is like a garden without a gardener to maintain it. Gardens don't just take care of themselves. They, they need constant care. They don't stay healthy after being tended to. If you have a garden or a yard, you know what I'm talking about, or a flower bed. You get it all cleaned up, and you've fertilized, you've watered, sprayed for bugs, pulled all the weeds. It's looking great. Come back a month later. Man, it looks like I wasn't even here a month ago. The weeds are back. Or there's another insect I have to spray for. I've got to make another trip to Home Depot to get a different kind of uh, insecticide. Weeds develop over time that have to be pulled, or they will overrun the garden. And in this case, the handful of churches on the island of Crete had developed several weeds that needed to be pulled because they had no qualified local elders to tend to the flock. Even with local elders, a church needs constant protection and maintenance. Paul also talked about this in Acts 20. He was leaving the church in Ephesus in Acts 20, and Paul warned the Ephesian elders. He said to them, quote, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's in Acts 20. Note that Paul was saying there will be threats from within inside the, inside the church, and there'll be threats from outside the church. Sometimes the wolves are close friends. Sometimes they are fellow church members. And sometimes the wolves are family members. I have seen that, and it's sad. I have seen uh, family members having to choose 
to be faithful to the Lord, and, and they, some have, they choose to stay faithful to the Lord and his word and the Lord's church, only to see their family, other family members be wolves and leave and take a pack with them. And I've also sadly seen family members choose to follow the pack and not be faithful to the Lord and his word and to allow their emotions to, to lead them instead of the truth of God's word. Here are three common threats that Paul references that are seen in churches still today. Uh, this is letters A, B, and C on your outline. Uh, letter A, uh, the first threat he mentions is uh, threats from the unsubmissive. Threats from the unsubmissive. He calls them insubordinate. The Greek word that he used here describes a person that is out of control, disobedient, or unruly. And because the Lord wants there to be order in his churches, he instructs church members to be submissive to church leaders in places like Hebrews 13, 17. Um, But it's hard for church members to do that because they still have a sin nature in them. And our sin nature makes us want to rebel against authority. And then the culture that we live in tells us all authority is bad. Who are you to tell me what to do? Uh, Leave me alone. And I know what's best for me. And and so all that, I think, comes together to make it difficult to be submissive in a church. Unsubmissiveness is a problem because it disrupts momentum and it divides unity. In my 20 years of church ministry, I've learned that most members think they are submissive until they disagree with something. You see, the funny thing about submission, and I used to think this too, I'm I'm guilty as charged here, and I've learned this since, that you haven't submitted until you disagree and then submit. (laughs) So let me give you a, a a definition of submission that I've been working on for a couple years here, and uh, I'm going to talk about this later in the series as well. But um, here's a definition for, for submission. It is joyfully yielding to God-ordained authority after respectfully disagreeing. It's joyfully yielding to God-ordained authority after respectfully disagreeing. This applies inside the church and outside the church because we know from Romans 13 that God puts all authorities in place, whether it be your uh, sports coach, football coach, teacher, principal, supervisor, department manager, uh, so on and so forth. But it's joyfully yielding to God-ordained authority after respectfully disagreeing. Therefore, agreeing with an authority, or a person in authority, but then spreading your disagreement by complaining behind their back, is not submission. Going around saying, yeah, 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 I didn't like what they did, you know, because I told them, and I tried to tell them, but they wouldn't listen to me. Yeah, pretty much a bunch of idiots down there at the office running everything, I know. That's not submission. The Lord sees that, and he hears that. It's divisive. Sometimes disagreements come up in the church over personal preferences. In fact, I find that's often the root of it. It's usually personal preferences. Examples of that would be what ministries to offer or not to offer, where to spend church resources, what to include in phase one of a building campaign. Um, In situations like this, the elders should listen kindly to input, uh, pray about it, and then do their best to discern what's best for the church. 
other times there are disagreements involving the scriptures, where the word clearly says something, and the church member is like, no, I don't want to do that part of the word. I don't like that part of the Bible. Or, um, well, they never say that, but that's what they mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe in the Bible. But only when the Bible allows me to do what I want to do. When the Bible says I can't do what I've already decided in my heart to do, I don't like the Bible anymore. <laughs> that, that's where it becomes a rub. And so examples of this would be, uh, these are just some real-life examples I've had to deal with as an elder and serving on elder boards would be who you can marry. Say uh, a church member wants to marry an unbeliever. Um, the word speaks clearly to that. Uh, whether you can divorce your spouse. The word speaks clearly about divorce and sets boundaries on that to protect the family. Um, refusing to reconcile a relationship with another church member. Uh, in situations where the scriptures do speak clearly on certain things, the elders should lovingly present what the word says. Hey, look, it says here, and it says here, and if you look here. And so, hey, we want to urge you, and lovingly we're, we're imploring you to do what the word says. But sometimes people don't want to do what the word says. I have found that joyfully yielding is possible by having a robust understanding of God's sovereignty and realizing that God is sovereign over good leaders and bad leaders. He's sovereign over good leaders that make bad decisions. And he can rectify and fix and bring good and redeem even good leaders that make bad decisions and bad leaders that make bad decisions. It doesn't mean that the leaders are perfect without flaw. It doesn't mean that they are... Um, that they, that they, well, in fact, all leaders have idiosyncrasies. I have my own. I have my own struggles and weaknesses, and every leader, every boss I've had does. We'll talk more about that later in this series. So, you can trust that God will work for good through bad choices or choices you disagree with. Interestingly, though, submission to authority comes up in all three chapters of Titus. I just discovered that yesterday. All three chapters of Titus talk about submission. And he talks about it in different contexts, Paul does. Not only because it was a problem on the island of Crete, but also I think Paul talks about it in all three chapters because submission is an important sign of spiritual maturity. And because Paul talks about it later in this book, guess what? I will too. So more on this later. Next, uh, letter B is threats from sinful talkers. Threats from sinful talkers. Paul calls them empty talkers. The word in the original text refers to uh, someone that sins with their mouth. Uh, they, they engage in idle, senseless talk like slander or gossip or sharing too many opinions. The, their talk has no substance to it. It's, 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 like, uh, it's like Rice Krispies. <laughs> it's just... It's light and it's empty. There's nothing in there. Um, there's no spiritual truth in their words. No one thinks that they have senseless things or idle things to say, which is why they sometimes need to be confronted. We all think that what we have to say is important. Whether it be favorite sports team or political party or... Um, 
your position on immigration or gun rights or building a wall between us and Mexico. We all think we're right, and we all think we have a right to say it. But Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, provides lots of wisdom on the sins of the mouth in Proverbs and how we need to be wise. And if we're maturing in Christ, we should be wise about what we say, how we say it, and when we say it. So getting back to the role of elders, because I want to make sure this is practical for you, when, when your reputation is being ruined by someone's empty talk, you will want the elders to get involved and help out. When someone is bad-mouthing you in the church, or maybe their slander is hurting your business, you want the elders to get involved. And when it's your slander and gossip that's ruining someone else's reputation, you will need the elders to get involved and to lovingly come with you together and say, hey, you can't do that. You need to repent of that and go back and ask for forgiveness from that person. And you need to go tell the people that you talk to and tell them what I said wasn't true. I'm sorry. You'll need that so you don't make a fool of yourself, according to Proverbs. Because careless words hurt the church. And Paul's saying that here. It's not good. It's not a good thing that there are empty talkers in the church. Letter C, threats from deceivers. The word deceiver is, is, uh, refers to someone who tricks or seduces the mind. David talked about such people in the Psalms. David was deeply hurt and wounded by such a person in Psalm 55. He describes the person as having speech that is smooth as butter, but there was war in their heart. It's a fascinating read in Psalm 55, but there are people, sadly, that exist like that. They exist in the world, and sadly, they exist in churches. These are the kinds of people, these deceivers, they, they don't say what they mean, and they don't mean what they say. So applications, what do we do with this? Since we're a church that's committed to being doers of the word, here's two that come to mind. Uh, the first is, be careful what you say. Your careless words could be used by the adversary to hurt our church. Or even worse, to hurt your credibility as a gospel witness. Proverbs 18 says that a fool delights in expressing his own opinions. And Proverbs 18 also says, There is the power of life and death in the tongue. The second application that comes to mind, and again, as I often like to say, the Spirit may give you another one or a different application, but these are just two that come to my mind to consider. The second one is be careful what you listen to. Since there are people out there that are deceivers and empty talkers and unsubmissive, you can help protect the church by shutting down sinful talk when you hear it. You just do it by saying, oh, hold on a second, sorry, I, don't, I need to interrupt you. Is it okay for you to be saying this to me? Is, does this person want this prayer request shared publicly? Or do, do they know that you're telling me this? I just want to make sure we're honoring the Lord with this conversation right now.
You can protect the church by not being quick to believe the reasons why someone left another church in town. Former church members that leave another church rarely tell the whole story. Instead, they will often paint themselves as victims. For example, here's a common one that I've seen many times over the years. Uh, someone leaving a church to join another church might say, uh, a man might say, yeah, um, that other church, they wouldn't let my wife and I get married. Can you believe that? They wouldn't let us get married? Oh, I mean, what a bunch of legalists micromanaging and controlling everything. But what that man isn't telling you, what he's leaving out, is the reason the elders of that other church wouldn't let him get married to the woman he's with is that that woman was his secretary that he had an adulterous relationship with. And the reason the elders at the other church were forbidding him to marry is because they were trying to get him to reconcile with his wife and kids because he wanted an unbiblical divorce. See, that's what they don't tell you. I've seen that a lot of times. This is why Proverbs 18, a great proverb, it has a lot of wisdom in it. Proverbs 18, 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Proverbs 18, 17, in other words, says, Don't be so quick to believe one side of the story because there's always the rest of the story. And until you know the rest of the story, you need to be careful. So, uh, radiant churches are always uh, under recurring attacks from divisive threats. Here's number two on your outline, the second truth that Paul gives us, and that is qualified elders protect the church by correcting false teachers. They correct false teachers. He references in verse 10, the latter part of verse 10, those in the circumcision party. Although the unsubmissive, the talker, and the deceiver, and false teachers are all categories of people that elders have to deal with, Paul says that false teachers do the first three in order to mislead people. The circumcision party was a group of false teachers that are mentioned in Acts 11, Galatians 2, and a few other places. They were sometimes called Judaizers. Because they professed to know Christ and got saved out of the Jewish tradition. They were Jewish in, in their background, but they still wanted to hang on to the Jewish traditions, like, for example, requiring circumcision to be saved. So they would go around preaching, hey, you need Jesus and you've got to get circumcised. Which Paul in Galatians says, that's a false gospel. Or, or they would say, you, you need to be saved, you need Jesus, but you also... You can only eat these foods as prescribed in the Old Testament law, and you have to do all these things in the Old Testament law. So in essence, kind of as Bob mentioned earlier, uh, reading through Romans, you have to fulfill the law and you need Jesus, putting a burden on people. When in fact, the New Testament, specifically in Romans, teaches that Jesus fulfilled the law so the burden would be on us anymore. And so that's why Paul's getting fired up about these Judaizers, those in the circumcision party, because he's saying they're requiring something of others that Jesus doesn't require. It made Paul mad. It's heresy because the true gospel teaches that salvation is available to anyone regardless of their race or background. Anyone who trusts in Christ alone by repentance and faith alone can have salvation. So Paul says in verse 11, they must be silenced. Now let's not overlook this. Uh, the English doesn't give us the high definition picture of this uh, 
Paul uses a, a, a word that is, whew. well, let me just say it like this. The word means to stop the mouth of an animal with a bridle, muzzle, or gag. Here's a more contemporary translation. Titus, they must be shut up because they're doing harm, spreading this false gospel around. In fact, they're upsetting, he says. It means to overthrow or to overturn or destroy. It paints a picture of families being torn apart by this false teaching that was spreading throughout the Cretan churches. The, 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 this creates an insecurity because false gospels create conflict. So you had families breaking up, going, oh yeah, well, we still believe what the Judaizers are saying. We, we, think, we think we should be circumcised and we should follow the Old Testament law, and we want Jesus too. And then you had other family members going, no, 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 no. It's just Jesus. That's all you need. And that creates splits in churches. So it was upsetting Paul. Even Jesus warned his followers to be on the lookout for false teachers. In Matthew 7, verse 15, you can jot that down and look at it later. Matthew 7, verse 15, that's where Jesus says, ravenous wolves will come in sheep's clothing. They, they will smell like sheep and look like sheep, but... Underneath, they're wolves. This is why the character qualifications in verses 5 through 8 of Titus 1 are not the only thing that matters. Elders have to have the ability, according to verse 9, to give instruction and to rebuke those that contradict it. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether elders are businessmen, salesmen, mailmen, policemen, firemen, uh, rich men, chairmen, or poor men. What matters most is that they are godly men that know the word and have a backbone that can go up to somebody and in love but firmly say, what you're doing is wrong, it's divisive, and we love you enough to tell you that, and here's where God's word says it, and we need you to repent and get right with the Lord, and we need to get you right with the people you hurt. But sadly, what I have observed in a lot of churches is either there are men that qualify character-wise on the board, but they have no backbone to actually do the job, so they can't actually do the role. They don't have the skills. Or I see that there are men on the board that have the skills, but no character. Both are important. All this goes to show how the Lord feels about his church and about the gospel. The Lord, it says here, the text is screaming to me, saying, the Lord cares about the gospel in his church like a father cares for his teenage daughter being courted by testosterone-filled suitors. And fathers, you know what I'm talking about when you got a girl, you got a daughter, and then she gets to be that age, and, and all of a sudden, boys' names start coming up around the house. Anthony, who's that? <laughs> Steve, oh, Michael, I haven't heard this name before. Or, or maybe it's, uh, Daddy, there's a boy that wants to take me out, and, and you know how that makes you feel. Well, the Lord feels the same way. And now, moms, before you start mocking the dads, the Lord feels the same way about his church and the gospel like a mother bear does for her little cubs. <laughs> You don't mess with a mom that's got a baby or a toddler. And you know what I'm talking about, ladies. There's a dark side of you that will come out 
If anyone messes with your aid, God is wired within you a protective mechanism. Well, that's what I think is the Lord is saying here through Paul. He cares about the church. He's protective. And, and elders have to protect the church from being harmed, just like you would for your teenage daughter or your baby. Now, because of the threat of false teachers that was posed on the island of Crete, Paul instructed Titus in verse 13, look at it, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke is a strong word of correction or admonishment with the intent of putting something in line that's out of order. Titus and the new elders he was appointing were being charged by Paul to fear God more than you fear man. Why? Well, because when fear of offending people takes priority over the truth of God's word, we offend God instead. And dear loved ones, I think, we, I think there's a need for some more churches in this country that fear offending God more than man. Nobody's talking about, is God upset with this? Nobody's talking about anymore, it seems. Have we offended the Lord? So therefore, Paul says in verse 13, rebuke them sharply. The Greek word, oh boy, it's, it means curtly or abruptly. Now, this is important because there is a culture that has developed in a lot of churches where basically, if you're nice, you're godly. And, and while there is some truth to that, as you probably saw, I hoped you saw, in my series earlier this year in Mark, uh, The Jesus You Need to Know, I tried to show you that Jesus wasn't always nice. <laughs> he said some things that had to be said that could hurt a little bit. Well, in the same way, elders sometimes have to be curt or abrupt. I, I, I love what commentator A.T. Robertson, explain, he explains why. Uh, A.T. Robertson, he's a famous... Southern Baptist Greek commentator who wrote uh, some excellent commentaries called Word Pictures of the New Testament in the early 20th century. And he said this, if the house is on fire and life is in danger, sometimes it's necessary to appear rude for safety. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't go, hey, there's a fire, so if you wouldn't mind, I mean, I don't want to upset, it'd be probably good if we got out of the house. No, 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 there's an urgency because you're like, hey, whatever. If you see somebody driving off a cliff, you're not, you're not just holding back being sweet and kind. In the same way, Paul is saying these things are important, they matter, and you need to ratchet up the intensity sometimes. Now, I have found personally that it helps, and I think it's certainly biblical, to start with you know the thermostat low on the heat, uh, and hopefully, and pray, that the person will be receptive. But if they're not, I think the word charges that you have to be willing to turn up the heat and get a little stronger if the person is not getting it, and they're not receiving it. And the reason, look at verse 13 again, it's not to be rude, the goal's not being rude, the goal is not to just go around picking on everybody to correct them, or to, to just wave power around. That's not it at all. In fact, Paul says in verse 13, so they may be sound in faith. There's a redemptive goal here. The heart behind correction is love. It's, 
It's to be received with humility and to restore the faith of the gullible believer, to get them back on track if they're humble enough to receive it. So the application, what do we do with this? Um, I think one that comes to mind is that we need to know our doctrine well. Anyone that professes to be a Christ follower must make sure they have a robust understanding of church doctrine. Just like a well-trained bank teller, you must know uh, how you must know God's word so well that you can spot a counterfeit. If not, you'll be duped easily. And this only happens by just committing yourself to a lifetime of personal Bible study, spending time, making a priority to meet with the Lord. I, I always recommend at least five days a week, 30 minutes a morning, in the Word, in prayer, and you will grow. And then on top of that, reading periodically some good books on doctrine or good books on the spiritual life so that you're always growing and gaining more knowledge of the word and wisdom. And that allows you to spot a counterfeit quickly. You'll hear it. Oh, that's, that is not true. Because I have five verses that just came to my mind that I've learned over the years that say that's not true. That sounds good what that guy's saying on TV. It sounds good what she wrote in the book. But God's word says this and this and this and this. Believers who don't study the word and practice the spiritual disciplines and don't continually practice growing and learning good sound doctrine, what happens is they are easily duped by articulate, polished, persuasive teachers that are either adding, subtracting, or misinterpreting God's word. That's what happens. So in other words, the elders have a responsibility to deal with false teachers and to protect and oversee the teaching of the church. However, the members have a responsibility to discern false teaching. You've got to know the word well enough. So you're not duped. So don't be gullible. Lastly, let's look at verse 16. Paul says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So here's number three on your outline. Qualified elders protect the church by confronting hypocrisy. They protect the church by confronting hypocrisy. This verse is simply a, it's a summation of how Paul feels about troublemakers, the troublemakers in these Cretan churches. It serves as a reminder that not every profession is a conversion. There will always be more people that profess faith in Christ than have actually been born again. And the proof of that is whether they are a hypocrite. He's expressing a distaste for those that profess to know Christ, but do not prove it by living out a changed life. Doing good works and is one of the macro themes in this book that's going to come out. And it it's because Paul is saying good works don't save us, but instead good works prove we are already saved. So, the application here in verse 16, live out your faith with integrity. Do your best with God's help to live out your faith with integrity. The word integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means to be the same or to be whole. So, in other words... What the New Testament teaches is with the Lord's help, 
spending time with him throughout the week, in the word and in prayer, dependent on the Holy Spirit and his grace, asking him to help you live out your faith so that there is very little, if any, disconnect between what you say you believe and how you act. That you, are, you have integrity, integer, you, you are whole. You're not separated or different. Doing so strengthens the credibility of our church instead of diminishing it. So live out your faith with integrity. Well, when necessary, elders protect the church by confronting ugliness so beauty can come out. I look forward to the day when we have local elders, men that qualify, verses 5 through 9, and men that also have the competency, the skills, to do verses 10 to 16. I believe it is possible for God to raise up men from within our church or to bring men that aren't here yet that can do this job. I need men to help me with it. I can't do it by myself. And as you can see, it sometimes is exhausting. It's hard. It can be discouraging. But because of the power of the gospel, the Lord is able to take ordinary men, unassuming men, and transform them into qualified, competent elders. And as you heard me say a couple weeks ago, I think every man should strive to be like this. Because every house needs an elder in it. Every house needs a man meets these qualifications. So I look forward to the day when we have a few good men that can take on this important role for our church. And of course, we need those men to know what not to wear. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, would you please use your word and your spirit to Help us think soberly about the church. Would you help us to see the reality of what it takes to build a healthy, dynamic, spirit-filled church? Would you help us, Lord, to see the threats that exist for the local church? Lord, I want to I pray for the men of our church. Father, please, would you... Would you help the men of our church to stir in their hearts and shake off any apathy that might be there so that they would strive to be elder qualified? Doing so, Lord, we know, as we've already learned, is only good for the church, but also it's good for their family. Wives want a man that, that is that is hospitable and not quick-tempered or arrogant or greedy, but loves good and is self-controlled and upright and disciplined. And children want a dad like that. Father, also, would you please protect our church from the threats that Paul talked about? We ask, Father, for your favor on Vanguard that you would help us to get stronger spiritually and financially and numerically so that we can reach more people with the gospel. 
Lord, I want to pray for those that maybe have struggled as well to to get into the word and to study the word. I know that that can be difficult for some for various reasons. Lord, please would you help them to discern what the obstacle is and then and lead them to where they can get help. Maybe some wisdom or counsel from a, an older believer or maybe it's a certain resources they need. Or maybe, Lord, it's... it's just themselves. They, they need to become more disciplined. Show them, Lord. Because, Father, we know that in this church, the more people that we have knowing the word and growing in their walk with Jesus, that's the better and the healthier we're going to be. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for its honesty. It's just brutal boldness sometimes. And we ask, Lord, please, that you would use us here in Kern County to make an impact for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.